1991, Caballero Pools and Spas has been dedicated to creating an outdoor living space that will provide endless hours of fun and entertainment for your entire family. They specialize in offering excellent service and delivering top quality craftsmanship at a reasonable price. They will transform your yard into something unique and distinctive, a customized masterpiece that reflects your individual preferences. Their experience will ensure that your new backyard is something you will be proud of for years to come. Whether it's a minor project or a large master plan, Caballero Pools and Spas will help you get there. Check them out at cabpools.com or reach them at mark at cabpools.com or call 714-309-2890. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Neon Wave. Neon Wave is an internationally local shop, a concierge to the modern nomad. They bring together carefully chosen surf, fashion, art, and snowboarding gear with a curatorial eye that's drawn to the best of the best, technicality, creativity, and sustainability. Their team is born from nature, raised by the wave, and nurtured by the culture they support. This is Neon Wave. We look forward to moving forward. Check them out at thisisneonwave.com. Earth Pack, customized eco-friendly retail and e-com packaging since 1989. In a time of increasing environmental awareness, Earth Pack is an advanced supplier of affordable recycled packaging for businesses of all sizes. EarthPack provides custom products and services and continues promoting sustainability while fulfilling the individual packaging needs of eco-friendly retailers nationwide. Check them out at earthpack.com. Friends and family, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. Our guest this week is a surfer, skater, audio engineer, tour manager, and entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. <laughs> His early days consisted of skateboarding, being in a punk band, and putting on shows at an early age of 14. At 21, he was managing audio for venues in front of tens of thousands of concert bands. This guy, busy over here. And at 20, 21 years old, he became a tour manager for Cypress Hill and other international acts. But his life took a turn. As it all, for all of us, during the pandemic, all live shows came to a halt. Spending more time at home with his family, his hobby of making DIY skateboards for his kids quickly became a hit, and before he knew it, a a brand was born. We are pumped to hear about music, touring, his new endeavor of being a business owner, and we want to hear more about Finless Skateboards Co. Yeah, yeah. We welcome to the show Dan, Coach, Coach McKay. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Where'd you get all that information? The World Wide Web, bro. Oh, man, that's all on there. I know you're famous. <laughs> so, Dan. Yes. This is a monumental day for the Late Night with Chalky podcast. Not just because we have Dan, Coach McKay, Finless Skateboard Co. Yeah. But because you are the first guest that we've ever recorded here in our new studio. Yeah. Newport Beach, California. Look at this place. Surf Mercado. Yes. This is awesome. This place is sick. We'll we'll do a little tour after, or maybe we'll pan the camera around and uh, hype it up. But yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful little surf boutique, a little museum-ish kind of 
Buy it. Cooler shirts yeah. and skate and all yeah, things you, vintage surf culture. I like, love it. I love this vibe. Yeah, you this guys need to come vibe. and check this place out. Totally. But um, thank you, Brad Briz Blankenship, who we also had on the podcast. But he is the proprietor of Surf Mercado. Yep. And uh, yeah, he's uh, he's open Thursday to Sunday. That's right. Uh, Eleven to three. You can make an appointment if. Uh, you you want to go on a different day or a different time? Yeah, if you're if you're not in town those days or just traveling through, you can make accommodations. But but you might be interrupting one of our late night with Chucky uh, podcast. Surf Mercado from Thursday to Sunday, and late night with Chucky Studio from Monday to Wednesday. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Today is the first. This is the first fucking episode. It is. We might have this crack a beer. Yeah. <laughs> Salute. No. Okay. Might Sorry. Have to christen this joint. No kidding, dude. Don't spill it on the. Uh, oh yeah. We <laughs> already bought that uh, <laughs> that Hawaiian tapestry over here of some sort of. So, sorry for the sidebar, but Dan, where did? I know you didn't get into surfing um, at Early a young age because it's Montreal, Canada. So That's let's where start where it all began. I mean. I, yeah, born and raised in Montreal, Canada, East Coast, where, uh, you know, grew up listening to a lot of punk rock music, playing in bands, uh, skateboarding, obviously it goes... Yeah, hand in hand with... Hand in hand with punk, punk rock. rock. I think it's the same thing. Fuck, for sure. Uh, and, uh, but, yeah, and snowboarding, because up there, obviously, there's hills everywhere. There's, yeah. You know, snowboarding and skiing is a big thing. But... How, how, who or how did you get introduced to skateboarding? How old were you? Nine. Nice. I think. Yeah. Some I mean, older I dudes remember. doing it and just... Well, no, all my friends were a lot older than I was for some reason. I was like 10, 11, all my friends were 15, playing music with guys that were 15. I think our singer was like 19 or something like that. So, yeah, that was a thing. Uh, I remember my buddy Thano had a... Uh, uh, H Street T-shirt. We were just talking about H Street. Yeah. And uh, and uh, I love that T-shirt. I was so jealous. We couldn't find it anywhere in Montreal. And uh, I guess yeah. I guess those. Are, that's how I got introduced. You know, just skating around. Do you remember your first skateboard? I think I have it. Well, <laughs> Sir, that's killer. But uh, I've had a few, so I can't remember exactly what the brand was. It was a big fat red one with a Ned Zeppelin logo on the huh. back. A Led Zeppelin? It was Ned Zeppelin. Ned? So I, I knock off. Trying but. to figure out what model this was, and I've been going through. Maybe somebody can help us. I've been googling it, trying to figure out what that board was. But that board is now at Finland Skate Co. on the wall. At, uh, at your office. Yeah. So cool. did, was it like an old album cover that they kind of like redoctored yeah, in their own version? Yeah, I think it was a pro model or something. And I, and I feel so stupid because I've, I've been looking and looking and asking people and nobody can figure it out. But it was definitely... Well, if I had Wi-Fi, I'd do some digging right now. Yeah. But, you know? So skateboarding was a big part of your, your childhood. Oh, man. Every day. Every day after school, we'd go... Parking st- complex. Street, like find any little... Yeah. Any, anything, uh, you know, parking complexes. There was a big, There was a mall next to my house and we would all go there at night and uh, we'd go jump on the roof and get like security was freaking out and yeah. like typical skateboarding yeah 
youth, teenage, yeah. punk rock thing. You know? Yeah, I- illegal, yeah. trespassing, absolutely getting kicked out. Yes. It's funny because, you, you know, Montreal, for those who don't know, is, like you said, is on the East Coast. So yeah. you guys get snow. Get hammered. Like, you guys get blizzards. You guys get snowed in. And, and one thing that uh, I've listened to a couple different podcasts, too, and and read some articles back in the day, you know, I, I was, I've been in the skateboard industry and skateboarded myself, but uh, just the Midwest people or anybody on the East Coast, like like you said, parking structures yeah. were a huge Gathering part would be. of skateboarding in, in other parts of the country and other parts of the world. Like here in California, yeah, I mean, yeah, they do that, but it doesn't ever, you know. Usually it's, it's a bomb, bomb hill, like bomb the ramps, not to like go yeah. find shelter. Yeah, 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 yeah you know? totally. Well, Full here, different. obviously the weather here is you can skate around all yeah. the time, only all the time. Uh, we have to get more creative. But what was amazing back then was that, you know, like you said, trespassing and stuff like that. That's all we did and all we wanted to do is just like get your homework done, get out there and it's dark out and just a bunch of bros. Yeah. It's that fraternity, it's that like gang thing, you know? Yeah. Did you have other siblings or you were you Yeah, I have a younger brother. Okay. Yeah. Was he part of the mix? Like or he wasn't. No. Because no. no. a little you know, more straight laced? Because usually like you're introduced either by neighborhood kids or like a sibling, you know, that kind of you know, like you said the, the age gap was a little I mean the age gap he was I'll say it he was a rollerblader so we didn't really talk to him. a rollerblader <laughs> inline bro watch it watch out for the inliners <laughs> dad's like you ain't hanging out with me little no, brother no you can't you can't be around here no scooter no inliners <laughs> but uh, we love everybody but seriously <laughs> I mean you know no that's no, silly cool yeah. I, I just it you came know. and went thank god and, yeah. and the skateboarding's still around so, so you're you're a '90s skateboarder, right? Like that's kind of yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's the era you were, you were growing up with. I mean, I started skating probably in '89. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was, it was really just because of those kids in the neighborhood that were older and 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 uh, that was like the the way to get around. Like we didn't really bike anywhere either. You know. Like, yeah. It yeah. was just you had your skateboard everywhere you went, and it was party. Yeah. And that also kind of spilled into the whole punk rock thing where now you're meeting uh, kids that, you know, let's start a band and they obviously they skate and we're all listening to Black Flag and Dead Kennedys and stuff like that and and We could jam. We could sound like that. Yeah, yeah. And, why and, not? Yeah, and that's 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 uh, What instrument did you uh, I play guitar. Yeah. Lead or uh, rhythm or that's punk rock. It was their <laughs> it's lead. all rhythm. It's just you know, we it's just, all thrash. I mean, that I think that's one of the biggest part of my life. Like this is something that really etched Dan McKay coach moving forward. Is that punk rock DIY thing? Yeah. Where I don't know how to play guitar. Figure it out. Figure it out. Yeah. And then. There's no YouTube. You just figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Listen, like, listen, like, listen, listen. to it, and it's probably gnarly, you know, but it doesn't matter. We're having fun. We're yelling and screaming, and yeah. you know. And uh, you mentioned Proto Motor, my first show at 14. That It wasn't even, I didn't even 
think I was promoting a show. That's what yeah. we did. We didn't. There was no labels. To high, high school party. You just want to get people there, pass out flyers. I would, I would like, go to the church and 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 talk to the the priest and rent out the basement of the church. And next thing you know, there was Mohawks and people drinking beer in the church. And we were just hey, next thing you know, the, like sold five hundred tickets, and we're just these made up bands, you know. Yeah. At fourteen years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fourteen. 15. So who? It's an interesting story because, like, you're 14 years old. You're you're barely. Did, how long were you playing in the band? How long were you guys playing together? And then you said, "Okay, let's do a show." Oh, Two weeks. <laughs> that was when I was 14. I started was probably like around 12. I don't know, maybe a year. You know. Yeah. And the first show you do, it's all covers. You know. Well, yeah. you can't party at home, so like. You know, throw. I mean, nobody in the right mind wants to. I mean, maybe some people, parents are cool with it, but so let's you gotta have a, a venue to to play music, and get the gathering in front of the, in front of the uh, yeah in front of a crowd. But let, yeah. let's backtrack. Who who were your bandmates, and how did you guys form, and what was the name? Oh, it was various different bands. Nothing that you ever heard of. Uh, I think our first band was called Chef Boyardee and the Intoxicated. <laughs> Wait, and what? Chef Boyardee and the Intoxicated. <laughs> I was 12 or 13 years old. That's all you ate, and you're like, dude, that was Chef good. Boyardee <laughs> and the Intoxicated. Yeah, and, and uh, how do you get better than with meatballs? Man, I don't remember how we came up with that. There was no reason. It was just <laughs> that was your first band. Though. It just sounded stupid. Let's go with it, you know. Um, <laughs> how many people in your band? Four, five, five people. Five, okay. Uh, yeah, five people. And how did I meet those guys? Um, just through friends, I think. All and skateboarders. All skateboarders, and the singer was like a, he was like, eighteen, nineteen years old, and he's the one who, brought me a lot of the vinyl stuff, you know, like, showing me like, oh, Bad Brains, have you ever heard of Bad Brains, and and you're twelve, like, uh, yeah, yeah. Was there any like core like record shops back like when yeah, you, yeah, yeah, because yeah. that was like the jam, right? Yeah. Going to the record Bionic, shop and like Bionic Records was yeah us and. I forget the other ones, but yeah, going to the record store, just cruising, checking out all the covers and all the yeah. genres of and music, pins. And, yeah. yeah, from the record Stickers, store, pins. <laughs> yeah. That's how I started being a sound guy because of a punk rock record store. So, we were doing shows, and there was this one guy that was opening. Can, a can I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So you're you're 12 years old. Yeah, yeah. The the, the leader of the band is 18. Yeah. Right, and, and you have five people. So you have what? A bass player, a drummer, two guitar players, bass, two? drums, two guitars. And you guys and taking singing. taking turns on vocal or all together? Or? Yeah, I who's, mean, who's screaming? He he's the lead guy. He was singing. We would jump in on backup vocals, and yeah, and and all covers. Well, yeah, yeah, and and what what songs did you guys learn? First, that you got wired that you played. The first song that we played was Six Pack by Black Flag. Yeah. Yeah. I love Six Pack. That's it. And then a lot of Minor Threat. Um, uh, what else? Dead Kennedys for sure. There's this band called Quincy Punks from, from the Boston area, and they were like crusty punks, you know, Mohawks and. And some songs didn't really have lyrics. It was just like, blah, 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 yeah. you know, we play some of that stuff. It was like metal death types, but not like more punk. 
Just punk yeah. but crusty, you know? Like, yeah. like fuck the world kind of. Guar. 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 Yeah. I know those guys. That's like yeah, a, they had a couple good videos. I I never even understood what the fuck that music was, you know? Because <laughs> it was just yelling yeah. in costumes. It was like monster, you know, monster rock or whatever you want to call it. Props, yeah. a lot of props. Yeah, a lot of <laughs> Like those guys have a cleaning fee every night they play. I know this for a fact. Yeah. Because they, there's slime going all over the place, yeah. all over the venue. They shoot stuff all over the place, confetti. So yeah. They have a hefty cleaning fee. It's part of the show contract yeah it's <laughs> yeah. part of the deal so so you're playing guitar you, you guys start playing parties do you remember like your first ever like the, the best shows ever were basement parties yeah this kid's parents are on vacation for a week bring the gear and they last all night long it, those for days those were memorable I mean like you have people standing and sitting on guitar amps and a mosh pit in somebody's basement. And those were the best. And it's nobody knows because it's in the fucking basement. You yeah. know, like it's yeah. pretty low key, you know, outside of it's underground. Kind of go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but literally but, underground. But I, I mean, I'm just picturing, I mean, yeah, where you guys live in the East Coast and a lot of parts of the, you know, we yeah. have those basements. We don't, you know. That's like, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like California. Garage. Yeah, yeah garage backyard. parties yeah. 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 or stuff like that. In the desert, they do the generator parties. And, yeah. Um, but I think, I mean... Did, did you guys, I mean, did you even, were you caring about the music or you just wanted to be in front of the crowd? Like, you know, how some people just play just to play or were you guys were passionate you, we about were playing? We were passionate about playing. Yeah. But I think at that age, too, it's more of like, uh, it's you got to get it out of you, you know? Yeah. It's that, that anger or the that... Angst. The angst, the rebellion. I got something to say, you know? And uh, and obviously, you know, we try our hardest to make it sound good, and eventually you get good at it, and then, you know. So how long um, were you in that band for? Chef Boyardee? Yeah. Uh, I don't, can't remember. It was the same band with different variations of musicians here and there, you know, kind of thing. So the singer left for a bit, I started singing, then somebody else came in, you know, and it was just that for a few years, maybe four or five years. Um, now, did you... Maybe six years. Did you make it out of the basement parties and then to oh, yeah, venues? We played, yeah, yeah, we played shows. We played shows, uh, you know, with a lot of good riddance, uh, strung out bands from oh, down shit. here. Uh, like touring, other touring? Not touring, you know, just... But these guys shows. would tour and then you would open up for them. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. They'd come to you they'd come or your to town. Montreal, they'd come to Montreal and like, we play with them. Yeah. Uh, we did a bunch of stuff. We kind of veered from punk rock to like hardcore east coast was big on the hardcore scene that you know more aggressive a little more uh, uh how do i call it we we had that here too yeah hfl hard fast and loud mm. strife is those guys yeah that stuff like that yeah it was out there i didn't really listen to it i didn't listen it, to that that genre either but i know what you're talking about yeah um you know there's a milestone to like your progression, right? Like you're playing in the basement, then you're playing at a bar or whatever, like right. church basement. Do, do you remember like your first, like, did you get paid? You know, the first time you got, your paid. band got paid? Yeah. So what this was that? This is a that? crazy story actually. Yeah, let's hear it. So. Paid or collecting at the door? Two different things, right? Well, so 
getting paid. When, no, I know, I know, but you when, know, like when I did the show in that church basement. Yeah. The idea we were doing punk rock, it wasn't about money. You know, it was about getting the message across, right? Yeah. Uh, so I spent all the money on the PA system and the damages that all the punks did to the, yeah. the church. <laughs> uh, and <coughs> but then we got we had to get paid because uh, at some point we have to go into the studio and record a demo or something, right? Yeah. And the first. And what's the the reason for doing that is so you can send it to people and hopefully you know get, get on the radio or, or yeah. get signed or, or get records. more venues right sell records really. sell records yeah but to to cover expenses is one thing but also to it's kind of a little bit of clout like yeah you want to show go up to come to a show you got to pay like a door fee you know yeah. whether it's yeah. a few yeah. bucks yeah. or yeah. five it's kind of like right. gives you a little bit of like status of course yeah. you yeah. know yeah. and kind well, of exclusivity but yet it's not it's just like yeah yeah, True. yeah. we're, we're True. When you start getting paid for it, you're We're chef 4D, you know? Like, five you know? So the first gig we ever got paid or hired to play, I'm maybe 13, 14 years old. Wow. And it's in this bar. And this guy wants to give us $400 to play two sets and of alternative music. I'm like, we're punk rock, we can play this. So we get to this bar. What's the set, like an hour, 45 minutes? It or? was like two 45 minute sets. Two 45 minute sets. Um, and you play punk rock and they want you to play alternative. Yeah, and we're like, yeah, this is alternative, it's punk rock. It's an alternative <laughs> you know, genre. Throwing a couple of your songs in. Yeah. So, uh, but we get there and it's a full on biker bar. And, oh uh, shit. And uh, there's a lot of bikers up there. And um, I was gonna say. Yeah, so we play the first set and I'm, I'm doing vocals on this, and I'm yelling and screaming, you know, like playing minor threat and stuff like that, and we get off after a first set, and uh, the guy takes me into his office, he goes, man, you're done, that's not alternative, that's a rush, and I'm like, rush? Rush is like prog, man, that's not what we're doing, he goes, no, 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 I'm like, dude, you hired us, you gotta pay us, and I'm like, you know, puffy with this biker, I'm like, <laughs> thinking about that today, I was like, I could And you're what, 12, 14, 14? 14? He paid me and he told me to leave, he goes, just keep Get your back line out of here. You're done. Here's 400 bucks. Wow. Yeah. That was their first paid gig. <laughs> and you didn't even finish the set. Yeah. No, or the we first were one. Forced off by the promoter who was paying us. Crazy. Yeah. So what did he want you to play? Like more like traditional like I guess music? He, like I don't know. What's like new what? wave stuff? No, I think alternative music back then was just like Seattle. It's the early stuff, 90s. You know? like, yeah, so, so. so like grunge kind of. Yeah, I know. guess. Yeah. Who knows? But we were screaming too much for him. So that was yeah. Well, I'm sure you looked at the crowd and you're like, these guys are fucking tough motherfuckers. Like, we better step. We better. I don't think there was like, there was a problem there. I think we were just the, like the entertainment to like the regular bar night, nightclub kind of thing. Yeah. And so there, we, it's not like we drew a crowd or anything. No. Like, you know? So it was just the regulars that were there and we're just yelling and screaming and kicking. So at, so at, at school, was were you like part of, you know, like, give us a, like a rundown on like you play sports or was like music kind of like, it was sports. I I was into sports a lot. I played football, uh, track, a lot of track. But then when when skateboard and punk rock yeah kind of came. Because I look my at life. school, high school, and you see all the little different cliques. Yeah. You know the jocks yeah. and the freaking you know preps and this and in the punk rock. You could, 
there's the freaking they're the outcasts. Yeah, here, there's here. the fuckers, and usually yeah, yeah. smoking grits, skateboards at school, getting like you know. That's yeah, and that's where that's where sports kind of disappeared a bit for me, except for skateboarding. Yeah. But like the playing football and stuff like that. I remember my dad was so disappointed because I was pretty good at football. I was very good, and uh, <laughs> and I remember when I told him that I wasn't into it anymore, and the coach didn't even look at me in my eyes. I was like, here's the equipment. I'm going to play music now. And he was just like, whatever. Yeah. Well, I'm Stop. sure for a father to like go, okay, football, punk rock. Football, <laughs> punk rock. Yeah. You know, yeah. like. Of course. College, yeah. safe. Not <laughs> yeah. safe. Football's not safe. I'm just saying like a yeah, more traditional a rap. Yeah. Yeah. It's like drugs, alcohol, partying. That's what I was just yeah. saying. Exactly. <laughs> Sex and drugs and punk rock. Yeah. For sure. That's exactly that's that was the sentiment. For were, sure. were you yeah. were you a studious like? No way. <laughs> no, school was boring to me. Yeah. I, I like the teacher would teach us something, you know, whether math or whatever, and I understood it. I understand it. Okay, it's good. Let's go to the next thing. Why do I have to do homework to prove that I know this? Like I get it. Yeah. Uh, let's go play some punk rock. <laughs> it's boring, yeah. Let's go freaking have But that—that's exactly how it went. And and in high school, I would skip. You know, we were talking about record stores. Uh, there was a record store that was opening up. It was a punk rock record store, and they had a a room, probably the size of this place, and they would put on punk rock shows. <laughs> so I would skip school to go help this guy, price, vinyl and CDs and stuff like that, and. That's where I kind of went into becoming a sound engineer because mm. those were my first sound engineering gigs at that small venue, uh, right next door. And what it, what is like explain like a sound engineer like? You got like a soundboard and like you're hooking up all the different like amps and trying to make sure everybody's yeah. Sound. So so when you when you evolve from the basement party where you're yeah. just hearing the amps into a venue. Yeah, gotta make you, sure the, vo the vocals aren't. Yeah, you got the loud PA and somebody's taking all, you know, you're miking everything out up to, to, to make it loud enough and mix it for the crowd, right? Yeah, you're a human equalizer. Pretty much. If you will, mixer. Yeah. Mixer. So, uh, so yeah, I was just making everything louder for everyone in the theater. So, <laughs> so that became one of your first jobs? Yeah. <coughs> Any other jobs mixer. prior to that? Like, you know, oh, I, was I was a paper boy when I was a kid, yes. you know? I was a there was one, one of those. Yes, kids, you don't know what that is, but yeah, super sketchy. And it's as rough, a, man. Like, 4 a.m., 4.30 yeah. a.m., and then you got to collect Fucking the Sundays with all stuff. the freaking... And it snows in Montreal. Uh, yeah. You still got to deliver those papers. Yeah. You know? How would you do it? On a bike? Yeah. Yeah. Big canvas bags and yeah, dude. with your uh, so you Sorel boots and you had to wrap boots, everything yeah. in the, like cellophane. Like you had to wrap it all yeah. the time. We only had to do it when it rained, which is never. But you know, like That's that was the, yeah, yeah. that was a shit part. No, that was a that was tough. But yeah. what a good business. I mean, I, it, it was tough, but it's so good for a kid to be able to like be responsible and then have to go collect your own money. Like you're not getting money. Like going knocking on doors. Yeah, like, and it's rain or shine. Yeah, and you got to be up because yeah. you got school. And those pe papers need to be delivered, so you have to get them to where they're going. Yeah. Responsibility, go. for yeah. sure. Yeah, it was. It was learn like, how to tough it out and have responsibility. Yeah, and and collect your and own communicate business. Like you, you deliver. 
you collect. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's a business. And you're a salesman, you know, and then somebody answers the door and you act all, you know, like, <laughs> hey, you know. Or, or you knock on the door and you're like, oh shit, this guy's gonna. So you've done this too. Yeah. Deliver papers when you're a kid. Yeah. yeah. There's always that one weird house. For sure. I mean, I don't know how old you were, but I was, yeah. 12, 13, 14, yeah. Yeah, like, I was 11, 12. And there's that weird house. It's like, you know that movie, The Burbs with Tom Hanks? Like yeah. The, the, the house that you don't want to get anywhere close to. You know, yeah. like it's, it's like, what is happening? You never see yeah. anybody come and go. It's all shady. It's like super crazy. shady. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, plus, it's like uh, everyone talks about it. Yeah. Like, people have... It's a folklore. You walk around exactly. the other side the of the street. Like, yeah. Just, <laughs> like, oh, shit. Do you have to go to that one house? What house? You know, the haunted house. Yeah. Or that dude, the weird dude. You're like, which house is that? And then you're like, oh, shit. I do have to go to that house. Yeah. <laughs> no, but... Shit. I like the memories. I, I know. It's yeah. awesome. <laughs> I, I just, it's, you know, based on what you're telling us already, and then, you know, like, that just made perfect sense that you're a paper boy, you know, hustling right before, you know booking gigs yeah yeah I guess so Maybe. sound mixing <laughs> so sound mixing at that store it was called the underworld and uh, there's a skate shop called underworld well this became a skate shop in Canada I don't know about that I don't think they ever came to Canada home. yeah yeah Alex Alex yeah Alex Bastide yeah that's him yeah no way I've been to that short right store in Vancouver um, or in Montreal Montreal, I believe. Did he move it to my Vancouver? There, I think there was one in Vancouver. Fuck. I, so the OG, I've been to both. The OG one was the one that I was skipping school to go label okay. the records. With know. Alex. With Alex. Yeah. For Alex. Yeah. And, uh, Such a small world. Small yeah, world. that's weird, man. So did you ever see that venue that was attached to it? I'm pretty sure I, I've been there. Right. Yeah. So that's where you know I was like, I want to learn sound. You know, if this music thing doesn't work out, at least I can still work music being a sound guy. So I picked up, like I bought a mix magazine, you know, and kind of went through it and read through my dad. My dad studied physics, I think, for a bit. And he had some physics books and learning electronics and trying to figure out. And I kind of like figured out what a sound console was through a block diagram ad for a Mackie console, whatever, and 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 then I would go to Underworld, and Alex would pay me twenty five bucks a show to mix, or a joint, or a vinyl. What a trip! Wow, that's I mean we were fifteen years old. Yeah, but we did like I did sound for Strung Out, Blink One Eighty Two when they were in a van, you know, tons of different punk rock bands, um, a lot of, and that place was wild. How many uh, how many people were it hold? Like what's I can't name? remember. Two fifty maybe three hundred at most. Wow, it was small. So, so he was a record store before a skate shop. He started as a punk rock, specifically punk rock, record store. Okay. Upstairs, it was upstairs, and there was a room on the other side that we would do shows, and then he moved downstairs, and in the back of that store there was that room where I started doing sound, three hundred capacity room. And um, I left that whole scene, and he moved in and, uh, to a bigger. Oh no! Then he started selling skateboards, and then skateboards was his focus. And then he then made a skate shop, yeah, a big one downtown in Montreal. And 
He opened one in Vancouver, I'm pretty sure. Okay. I don't know that they're still around, but... I don't think so. But yeah. I, I did visit, I don't remember if it was Vancouver or... Because I've been to both. I've been to Montreal and right. Vancouver. And I can't remember, you know... That's crazy that you brought that name up. I yeah. haven't heard that name since 98. Yeah. What, what was the... Um uh, the record store in in connection with Furnace, Bionic. Was it Bionic? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a couple spots where you know be record store, skate shop next door. I mean, it goes. It, yeah. It's Hand just the a natural end, progression sure. of yeah. it all, you know. Like, punk rock and skateboarding was definitely like synonymous to each other. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. Uh, that culture, that subculture, and that DIYness of it all, you know, like you record, you record uh, a record, and then you're you're going to the photocopy machine to make your own leaflets for the the packaging of the CD yeah. or cassette or whatever, you know, like it's yeah. it's like so from the you guys, um, you played covers at first, yeah. Chef Boyardee, yeah, and the what is it, Intoxicated guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chef Boyardee and the Intoxicated. Okay. So <laughs> you guys played covers. Yeah. And then you started making originals? We started making originals. Uh, it wasn't very good. <laughs> Who's the writer? Yeah. We all did it. Just all? Per- yeah, yeah. Okay. Just, you guys get rid of I have a riff, I have a riff kind yeah. of thing, blah, 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 blah. It, would, yeah. it, would, it never went anywhere, you know? Did you make a record with anything? We made a demo. Demo. But that's it, yeah. I, I would imagine, like... It's such a hard, you know, like business to like crack into. You know, like if you think where you're at, and every other town's got, you know, dozens of little. It's little, super hard. Yeah, it's like super, super hard. hard. Like my son's really into music, and he wants to play music, and I'm, you know, in a band, and he wants yeah. to make this a career. And I was like, this is awesome. Go full throttle as much as you can all the time because. It's hard to it's hard to uh, to peek through the noise, you know. There's so many, especially nowadays. And be can, unique and have your own like sound yeah. and own like vibe, you know. It's not the same as when we were kids, where there was a community. Now everybody can make a record on GarageBand and put it up on SoundCloud and and Instagram and all this stuff. Next thing you know, there's no more bands. It's just one kid just geeking out and making stuff. Yeah. yeah. Which I'm not dissing, but. It's it's just a whole different the culture, yeah. yeah. Than when we grew up, you know. Uh, like you would skate halfway across town to go hear some other like you yeah. know band or you yeah. know something. Totally. Like now it's like yeah, you're just sitting behind a computer. You don't get that that feeling. You don't get that vibe. You yeah. know, like it's, it's just different. It's you still earn there. you earn your like, and and you a, know, I mean, you music could be a, and and accomplishments back then. But you can be talented, you know, writer and musician and all that. But you also got to have like the showmanship and be able to ha- handle yourself in, like, a, in front of a crowd. In front of if, a crowd. If this is something that you're going to aspire to, you know, pay the bills with. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a hard, hard life getting up there. Yeah. You know, and so, it's not everyone that's going to get up there. Montreal you know? speaks a lot of French too, right? Yeah. So did you guys sing in English or French? English. Yeah, yeah, I'm a bilingual, so my mom's a Francophone, my dad's Anglophone. I went to both schools. Uh, but yeah, we were yeah. singing in English. So crazy. Yeah. It's, it's pretty bitching how different countries have, like, you know, 
second or third languages. You yeah. Canada is really different when it comes to that. Montreal and Quebec is like very different from the rest of yeah. North well, not North America, Mexico, but like Canada and the States, you know? Yeah. Um, people love going up to Montreal because they feel like they're like on this side. It's like... European side of... European yeah. side, yeah. yeah. Unless you go to like New Orleans, right. <laughs> but they don't speak a lot of French in New Orleans, you know? Yeah. I guess they do, Patois or something like that, but real. But, uh, but it wasn't picked up along like the, the educational system and it wasn't, you know, it's kind of like deep rooted. Exactly. It's not, it wasn't kind of like yeah. forced on yeah. to the next generation. It's kind of like exactly. by choice. So it's kind of. And Montreal and Quebec are very, it's very, very old, you mm -hmm. know, like 1500s something, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, people love going up there. It's yeah. just different, you know. So were you making pretty good money, like as a soundboard you know, technician well, guy? No, at first I was making like... Well, no, yeah, but like, you know, as you're, you know, working your way up and you had these other bands so, coming from the state, you know, like, were they hiring you or just event, you know? So basically what happened is uh, I was doing that and then I quit school to go do a, like a... Quit high school. Quit high school to go do like a trade, I don't know what you guys call it here, like a trade diploma kind yeah. of thing, in audio engineering. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So I did that. Like ten, what, tenth grade, like two years short, or uh, what is it? Something like that. Yeah. Like eleventh. Yeah, tenth grade. Because a lot of other countries will will give you that option, like right. You know, trade school at a certain. I know Australia and a couple of the other places. You know, like yeah, I was. I, I I I quit a little too early for mm. that. <laughs> uh, but it's still it's it was still. Uh, but that's still what you're good. into, and and you can make. Yeah, I'm like, let's continue playing music, but this will be my my you know Schooling. fallback. Yeah, and that fallback quickly turned into not the fallback. This is the plan, kind of thing. Mm. And uh, and uh, I completely stopped playing in bands. And you quit playing in the band? In bands, yeah, or in the band, yeah. I would jam here and there with people just for fun to see if it would go anywhere. But um, I was really into the sound engineering live sound engineer and uh, after working at Underworld started working at you know another venue here another venue there and then started working for bigger venues in Montreal and then by the age of 21 I was like head audio at a, at a 1200 capacity uh, really renowned club uh, in Montreal and we were doing shows non-stop there that's where all the big bands went yeah everybody played those venues and 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 there was a peak time where the SoCal punk bands would play there like every weekend. It would be another round, you know, like no effects, lag wagon, blah, blah. They would all come. We wouldn't know the guys, you know. And there was a link between those guys, the promoters, the punk rock promoters mm -hmm. in Montreal, and the SoCal punk, skate punk guys, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I did, I did that, and then I was getting a real paycheck, you know. Then, yeah. Then I was paying my rent with it. Did you move out when you get, when you went to this trade school, or are your parents still yeah, cool? Like yeah. they said, hey, you're out of school, you're out of the house. No, I left the house. Yeah. I was just like, yeah, 17 years old. This is this is the time. Here we go. Moved into like a really sketchy apartment, <laughs> and uh, and it was great. And it was so cheap when I think about it today. But um, um, yeah, I I moved into my first apartment, and uh, I think rent was 475 bucks a month. And uh, prices are very different up there. It's much cheaper than well, 
anywhere in California. Yeah, everything's more expensive now. Yeah, especially now, yeah. But yeah, I think I was, rent was 475 bucks a month, and I went in there, I didn't have a job, and then I, within a week, I landed that gig at that venue that was paying that a week. It was like, oh, amazing. Yeah, was, was so you're making $475 a week. Was the uh, venue at seventeen? Yeah, no, sorry, I was doing that a month. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Was uh, that venue hosting week. other like would comedy shows come through? Or was there any like everything? Uh, everything like it wasn't just strictly music, but they needed soundboards every night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that that's what was great about this venue because Montreal has a huge jazz fest, so we would jazz. do like all sorts of jazz acts, Afro beat. Uh, all types of music and then corporate stuff. You know, yeah. you have like a see that's cool because you're you're not you're not just in a one note like job. You're you know you're hearing all yeah. these different like yeah you know music and not just music but but good culture and people and oh, yeah, yeah good good for just learning yourself but for the business side too yeah. you know like, oh absolutely yeah I mean yeah we had bands from all over the world some people that we couldn't even speak with because the language was you know like they would speak Spanish and, and I didn't speak Spanish and, and just figure it out and the music speaks for itself and then you kind of figure out where it needs to be in the mix and yeah it was amazing like yeah. such such a good learning experience for me all these different genres and people coming through that venue and we had like huge metal bands and huge rock bands as well yeah. but then we'd have like all sorts of weird stuff. So, so this is a night gig where you like skateboarding during the day still? Or are you still I skateboard to the gig. <laughs> <laughs> what was That's that place called? The Spectrum. The Spectrum. It, they tore it down, I think it was in 2002 or three or four maybe or something like that. But yeah, between that uh, venue and the Metropolis in Montreal, the Metropolis was also, you know, every band's played those uh, So how long did you do that for? Until about 22 or 23, and then um, then I got my first tour with a like a rock band from Quebec that was uh, singing in English, and I was just their fr their sound guy, their front house guy. And the first tour we did was with Van Halen uh, for five weeks. So we, my first tour, I was on tour with Van Halen. It was what? Amazing. Yeah. Um, How did you get connected? So, I was in touring for Van Halen. I was touring with this act from Quebec, and as a sound guy, and they went out to support Van Halen for five weeks, U.S. and Canada. They, they were the opening band for yeah, Van Halen. Okay. Exactly. And this was that'd be huge. It was huge, and and like the production and what those Sammy guys Hagar were probably though? doing. What's that? Was it Sammy Hagar though? It was Sammy. It was Sammy's last tour. Yeah. So crazy. It was weird. It was weird. I'm not gonna lie. There was a lot going on in that camp, but it was crazy because the it was the first arena show I've ever seen in my life. Because mm -hmm. I wasn't into arena stuff at all. Right? Yeah. And uh, it's like 70,000 people. No, twelve to I'd say ten to twenty-two, depending on the, okay, depending on the area. Still big. Still <laughs> huge. Yeah. Yeah, it's still arena, but it was the first arena show I've ever seen. And I was mixing. I was doing sound for the band and for that for the sport band. And uh, and then three months after I got hired with those guys, the tour manager quit. 
And the guy who hired me, I'm like, where are you going? You just hired me. And, uh, and then I was like, man, I can do this. You saw what he did and you're yeah. like, yeah. Book hotels, organize, make the schedules and all that stuff. So I kind of convinced the band and management that I was the new tour manager and that's when I started tour managing. Crazy. So you kind of sold it because there's a void. Yeah. Like, you know, guy quit. What was that band called? Jonas. Jonas? Just Jonas, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. And what was like... Big like cock rock kind of... Yeah. And where was there... Great musician. Where was there traveling, like, if you had to handle, like, logistics and accommodation? Was it just in Canada or, like, the States? Yeah, so for him, you know, after that Van Halen thing, it was mostly Quebec, you know. And in Quebec, it's weird because that scene is very... It's like a microcosm. Like, uh, you could tour with two bands and have a career all year round, you know, like... And it's Weekend Warrior stuff. It's kind of what the country scene does here in Nashville, right? So weekend you go to Quebec City, the other weekend you go to this other town, you go to this other town, do two shows, come back, two shows to town, you go to work. So that's mostly what I did there uh, with those guys. But I learned so much as a tour manager on that tour because he was kind of a sensation over there. So security was a big deal, you know, that's how we roll. You know, we need some freaking backup. Cause we're kind of <laughs> well, they're just out there. Yeah. Just, you, know, you can't see them. Right yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, that, it was hard and it was great. It was awesome. And that's how we came up here. Yeah. Yeah. And tra- travel and, you know, kind of hotel life and different, you know, like it's got to be freaking fun. 22, 23, you know. Yeah. Fun, but you just jumped into it and learned everything on the fly. Yeah, there's no school for yeah. format. Because the guy didn't like give you a, a bullet point of like, here's your duties. No, that guy was angry. He just left. Yeah. yeah. So you're like, okay, what do I got to do? Yeah. And then you figure it out. Which is, I think, the best way to learn when you're just thrown yeah. in. Yeah. And the best way to learn is just to fuck it up every now and then. And yeah. you'll learn from those fuck ups. Yeah. yeah. Dude, why'd you book us in this shithole? Like, look at that place down the street, right? It's only 10 bucks more, you know, like, who knows? Like, all that kind of... Oh, yeah. And so you were start they, figuring out, like, were the these best guys restaurants cool or were they best deals. What's that? Were they cool or were they dicks? They were, were they? awesome. I love those guys. Okay. They, they, were, they were great dudes. Um, but, yeah, there was a lot of... Uh, you had to handle the groupies in the back? You know? Like, hey, hey, girls. Well, they... You, you... Yo. <laughs> you know, sometimes yeah. you gotta yeah. do what you gotta do, you know, it's part yeah. of the gig. Um, but you have to go through me to get to them. All they want is green M&Ms. <laughs> right, right. No other colors but green M&Ms. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> we said, we said white wine. No reds. That still happens today. Right. I bet. Yeah. yeah. Particulars, you know, like for well, yeah, everybody has their, 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 their things, fixes, you know? their fixes. Yeah, how long were you with Jonah? Um, uh, let's see here, maybe a, a two years, maybe something like that. Yeah, and uh, and then it was just the hustle of okay, I like doing this, how can I get the, my name out to do more of this, you know, to so this can be my career, and uh. Because do people do that? Like, be tour managers for different... Different bands, yeah, oh yeah. Huh. Yeah, so... I can't remember what I did after that. Uh, I did some very eclectic stuff. I went out with this Nigerian band, uh, 
Shalem Kuti an Egyptian. You guys ever heard of Fela? Fela Kuti, the Godfather. I'm sure I probably heard, maybe heard of it if they're popular. Godfather yeah. of Afrobeats, '70s, very political Nigerian. Mm. And uh, I was just like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And 24 Nigerians land in Montreal and put them on a bus, and here we go. And that was a trip. That was that's another, 24 band members. Yeah, that was 22, maybe I think. Yeah. And what are they? It's just Afrobeat, and it just you know, a brass section, drummer, two guitar players, drums, weird percussions, three dancers. I bet it was rad. Oh my god, the second these guys hit the stage. All get up, and, all freaking killer showmanship. And they are locked in and the groove is on. Like, these guys were amazing. And what are they called? Sheon Kuti and Egypt 80. Sheon Kuti. Sheon, yeah, S-E-U-N. He's the youngest son of Fela, who's like a legend in the uh, Afrobeat community um, scene. But yeah, that was crazy. Uh, that that tour was crazy because there was culture shock. There was there was all sorts of stuff, you know, like... 24 fucking people 22, you're in charge yeah, of. Yeah, 22 plus me and, and, a, and, a, and a tech. Um, and yeah, it was insane. Malaria scares. Stuff like that. Malaria? Oh, yeah. Them bringing it over here? or? Well, me looking at a guy going like, are you okay? And for a week, he's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm like, okay, this is just the way he is. And then next thing you know, I get a call. It's like, I have symptoms of malaria. And sent all the doctors and you know, figured it out. Um, yeah, because they get like deathly like fever, like ill. You know? Yeah. And then they bounce out and then they're fine. And then like... Yeah. So yeah. For, for the... People that, that are not in the know, can you kind of rifle off tour manager? What a tour manager does? Yeah. I mean, every band's different, but the idea is that different uh, different scales, it kind of means, I mean, I guess in general it's the same thing. The tour manager just oversees the operation after the band. So the band's the band. They're the boss. That's the reason why we're all there. The tour manager oversees budget, travel, uh, security if need be, uh, you know, press, guest list, mm. makes everything, oversees just the machine rolling through the tour, make sure everything, and then obviously the all, the need, all the needs of the band members, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. When you get to a bigger level, it gets more focused, you know, then you have... Are you responsible to book the venues too? No. Okay. No, no. The booking agent will do that. Okay. We get handed a routing, and it's like make it work. Yeah. And so, so you have to do like the logistical, travel, lodging. Yeah. All that. Flights, private jets, uh, <laughs> tour buses, Bummer. crew, trucks. I mean, when you get to a certain level too, there's too much. So then you have a tour manager and a production manager. The tour manager takes care of the band. Production manager takes care of all the equipment in the crew, mm. um, and that's pretty much what it is. Yeah, yeah. it's it's managing a company. A, yeah, a, a mini, you know. Yeah, so I just corporation. Said CEO, of, you're the CEO. They're the uh, yeah, they're the, the artist and the designer. You know, like they're the you know yeah. they're the talent, and you're the one that's making sure. Yeah, they, they get there and they stay on track. Right, rock out for ninety minutes, and then we tear it all down and we go to the next city. People don't realize that. Like, we're moving a city every night sometimes, you know? Yeah. Like, we got nine, nine, nine or 19 trucks worth of equipment. 
Fuck. They roll in at 6 a.m., set up the whole show, band shows up, load the whole arena full of people, play the show. The show's only like, doors are at 7, show's done at 11, band's out the door, crowd's out, settle the show, make sure the money is right. Two hours later, the trucks are packed, and we're all on the way to the next city to redo this all over again. Dang. You know? That sounds like exhausting. Behind the scenes headache, right? Like everything. Everyone thinks it's you know touring is glamorous and backstage is awesome. It's it's business. It's business. It's different. It's it's organization. It's 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 a business. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And I'm sure you 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 know after thanks, dudes. After visiting like certain venues, you know, getting to know the how they work, you know. Yeah, you get, get comfortable, you know, like there's always some sort of learning curves to, you know, what a, not just the band, but the venues and how to work with. Well, yeah, you're up. The, that's why you you can't just be organized. You have to be over organized and think three steps ahead because you're always going to get a curveball. Yeah. Even though you've been to that venue 17 times in your career, yeah. you get back there and for some reason something is off or it's not conducive to the the show that you're doing that you know whatever it is you know yeah. you have to be ready to to pivot and fix issues as you go you know yeah, yeah. do you Remember drink cast? do you drink i do i i did more before yeah because <laughs> I, I can just imagine what you know when you're young and you're the tour manager and you know you get to partake in the in the fun but but you're working but you, you got to keep your head. If the cops show up, they're talking to you. Yeah. You're the first one in, in you know, yeah. trying to yeah. negotiate it down. Because, yeah. you know, when you're young, you're fucking raging, right? You're like, yeah. I, I, I'm fucking living this life. I'm a, you know, rock star, tour manager. Well, see, that's the thing. That's why I'm saying it's it, like people think it's glamorous. A lot of, I've seen a lot of rookie tour managers never make it. Yeah. I've never seen them again because they were exactly that partying yeah. with the band. You're gonna be around the band. You're gonna have a drink. That's fine. Touring is hard. You gotta make it fun. But at the end of the day, you gotta remember why you're here. Yeah. You know, the idea is not for you. Never I would not get be more. a good tour manager. Okay, <laughs> coach. <laughs> Hence, you got the nickname, coach. No kidding, right? Never get so, more smashed than the band, basically. Let's let's talk. Who who coined you that nickname, coach, and when? I. Uh, this would have been. Mid two thousands, I was hired to do this baby band. Uh, baby band? Baby band. It was like the first tour. Of the kid, the, you know, the guys were like 17, 18, 19 years old, and uh, not boy band, baby band. <laughs> yeah, they were like they, they were just starting, and uh, I I went in to help, and I did a couple little tours with them, and I had to teach them how to tour. Mm. You know, lock the door to the van. Uh, you know. They were wet behind the ears. Oh yeah, like crazy, like crazy. And they started calling me coach, and then, uh, and then their management started calling me coach. And then I went on to another band, same management, and then they called me coach because management called. You know, yeah. yeah, stuck. It's stuck. Which is a compliment. I, I didn't pick it. Yeah. But but, <laughs> but it's a compliment in, in many ways because it's like like yeah. you know. This you're guy, telling people what this to do. Guy, you're you're directing traffic yeah. and, and putting out fires and, and keeping things organized and, and yeah. teaching along the way. Like not yeah. just doing your job, but teaching the, yeah. the young bucks. For the for those guys, there was a there was a lot of teaching. They were great, uh, but 
Yeah. Now it's just, I guess it goes with the position, right? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Manager, coach, I don't know. Yeah. It's rad, coach. So after Jonah, um, you did Nigerians. Nigerian, and then and then and then I don't remember, man. I and went, then the baby boy band was Jonas Brothers. Nah. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> they were called. They don't exist anymore. They were called the Midway State. I think they were called Midway. The Midway State. Mm. Um, and then yeah, it's just bouncing from band to band. You know, like going a stint with one band and then. So the way usually, typically, I mean, in the pandemic, like threw everything up in the air with that, but. Usually a band will put out a record and we call it a record cycle. They'll tour it for a year and a half-ish, maybe two years. Then they go back and for take another year off, year and a half to go record the next record. Tour manager doesn't stop, or the crew, whether it be the sound guy, the guitar tech, we all go to the next band that's starting a new record cycle. So that's kind of the in the rock uh, circuit, that's kind of how we roll. Was it... Um Referral or under the same label, like the, these bands. It's all referral. All referral. It's all referral. So it wasn't like, hey, we're strictly working with this like record label, and they had these talents. I mean, it'll sometimes come from, uh, yeah, because sometimes the record label will have a bunch of bands. Those bands tour together. Mm. Then this guy likes this guitar tech from the other band, yeah. and those guys aren't touring. You know, it's all inter. And, and I mean that's I mean that's life, right? Relationships and word of mouth and stuff. And how I think to, so. It's probably the same. And if you're, hey, this guy is, gets the shit done and he's easy to work. You know, like no drama, like get shit handled. Exactly. We'll take him. No drama. No drama. That's the golden world. Let's, yeah. Let's coin that, Dan. No drama, McKay. Yeah, it, it's a trip <laughs> to you know from from the outside looking in. You know, when we don't think about musicians having a, a schedule. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. when people come out with a new album, like you, for, you, you don't really, as listeners or fans, you don't go, oh shit, they're, you know, yeah, they're making a record right now. Like you said, they make a record and then they tour it for a year and a half. Yeah, and then they go back and then make a record, which is a business. You know, like you said, the cycle, their cycle of business, yeah. and with you, it's like. You know, you, you you just gotta hop off that train and get on another train, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, we I don't know, I guess you're right. I would think of it more of like seasonal kind of scheduling, you know, like oh it's holidays, there's probably not as bad you know, summer would be the high season, you know, but yeah. it probably doesn't really matter. It I mean it does a little bit, yes and no, it depends. Like obviously, like I said, the the pandemic kind of threw everything in the but uh Obviously, summer season's festival season, right? right? So you're doing European festivals, North American festivals in the summer. You're touring spring, fall. Back in the, you know, six years ago, January, February, you were in Australia doing shows, you know? Uh, So that's kind of the seasonality of it. But when a band's going out for a year and a half, you're going through all those. So what was your first out-of-country tour managing? Out of outside the U.S., like Europe, kind of thing. Well, Canada was your first thing, right? Canada, but then it, like right away when I started touring bands, we were out Europe. Um, oh, really? Yeah. With the Nigerian band too, and no, um, I'm trying to think. Uh, first time outside of North America, let's call it. Because that had to have been like 
cool, fun, scary, like, you know? Yeah, learning the ropes, for sure. I mean, the first... Because uh, you're almost like, holy shit, I'm going to do this as a job outside of our country. Yeah. You know, that's a huge milestone and a step of like, whoa, Put that I'm not just touring Canada yeah. or, or parts the of the U.S. Yeah. I'm fucking global now. I kind of remember when my first time, the, 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 there was a band that I toured with called Metric. We would go to Europe a lot back in the day. Um, and uh, that's just, I mean, it's not very, we have a system. So outside of the language barrier in certain cases, you know, it gets weird. Europe's not so weird. There is intricacies here and there. You know, the UK maybe is some way. Italy is like love the country, hate work working there. It's everything is hard. Um, except for those little things, you know, it gets it gets weirder when you're like in China or Japan or yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, that's well, the real culture shock where. You do it a certain way, and it's hard to veer off of that, even though your needs is like, yeah. this, you know. It's got to be weird for, like, for you, let's say it's the Nigerian um, band, and right. you go to China, or you go to Japan, and you're like, people like this shit? You know what I mean? Like, in yeah. this foreign country, where these people speak a language you... You know, and they drip, they don't dress the same, yeah. but somehow they f- know this band. The and music translates. The music translates. You know what I mean? How weird is that? Yeah, though? Like, but it's kind of cool. It is weird, yeah. but it's kind of cool. Yeah, they don't speak the language. They don't understand the lyrics, but they're bopping to it. Like, yeah, yeah. And it's funny because like I've been to Japan quite a bit, and you know, karaoke's a huge, yeah. it's like so a national big. pastime. Yeah. They don't know English, but they they know karaoke. Yeah, right. right? Yeah, like you'll sit there and these guys can't speak English yeah. or girls can't speak English, but then when they're standing in front of the audience or, you know, the, in, in front of the mic, <laughs> well, they're singing perfect English. You're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, how the, how, wait, how do you know the song? Yeah. Yeah. How do you memorize the song? You don't even know what the fuck you're saying, but you're saying it's it just the sounds for them. Yeah. Russia was like that. Wow. Russia. I feel like they would be a fun, fun like Man. Russia. Yeah, like a, <laughs> I have like to a part, you know, like punk and like you know <laughs> underground party scene. Like Russia's a trip. Um, you like every time I've been there, I felt like I was in a James Bond movie. Everything outside the show is always like you're always checking your six. Yeah, but the shows go off and yeah. the crowd is insane. They love it. They they're so. They don't get stuff like that a yeah, lot. So yeah, when they have yeah. a band from North America, a big rock band that comes, man, the crowd goes. It's electric. It's have huge. you been to Russia a bunch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing Wait, on tour. Yeah. yeah, let's go through some like because it's interesting. Like we're we're lucky. Like Orange County had a good like punk scene here, but like a lot of big brands would hit like LA. You know, like yeah, you know, there's certain state, certain cities that kind of like have that draw for. For yeah. specifically punk rock? Yeah, like, you know, where, like, I'm sure Russia was big in punk, you know, um, or anybody. Or that metal, was I think metal. metal was a big yeah. thing there, big rock. Uh, like London, I'm sure, was... Camden. Yeah. Camden and London. Well, obviously, you know, the, the Camden locks there, you have the big The Clash sign up there, and the crusty punks are still there, and, you know, that's that's pretty epic. Yeah. That's yeah. area. 
Italy, I don't, I can't, I can't picture <laughs> like Italy. Italy, like, Italy, no, Italy's like Northern Italy, Milan. Right? Yeah. Uh, Hamburg is a big Germany. Yeah, Hamburg, Germany. Yeah. It's a big uh, punk rock, kind of more of a metal scene for sure. So did, but you didn't travel with a lot of punk bands, right? Or, or well, I did the the Distillers. Recently, Flogging Molly. I was just helping out with those guys. I did a couple of tours with those guys. Wow. Um, what was China like? <laughs> with what? With yeah, I handlers. Yeah, you had handlers. Uh, you have to have handlers. Yeah, right? translators. Yeah. Oh, I don't mean that. I mean like you know, like translator slash you know government like oh, no, handlers. No. No. I don't think they were. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, only did Hong Kong with a band called Metric and. Uh, how come does it count? Yeah. It doesn't really. Man. Yeah. It's not the same. Um, but we did like Kuala Lumpur and the Philippines, Manila. Nice. Yeah. Philippines sucked, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm from the Philippines. It, it, the Philippines is awesome. It was All of it was a trip because uh, it's just the way everybody works is so different there. You know? yeah. And being the tour manager, it's, it's cool. You got a day off, but you're traveling. There's yeah. no day off. For a tour manager, yeah, it's a non-show day. That's what we call it. Because then you're in your hotel working, prepping the next day, you know, kind of thing. So there's not a lot of sightseeing and stuff like that. Yeah, hmm. that's a trip. Yeah, like you think, oh, he'll get to do this and that, but while he's not working, well, he's not not working. Yeah, because you're always having to, you know, you make got, sure that things are yeah well it costs money every day you're on the road and i'm sure they just try to line as many back-to-back -back shows that they can and tighten up the, you do need days off yeah for sure because you know uh especially you know on bigger arena tours you got guys waking up at 6 a.m to load in and they're they're in their bunk on the bus at 1 32 a.m in the morning so do that over and over yeah days off are usually for sleep my days off for sleep catch up, work, prepare the next thing, go for a nice dinner, yeah. and we'll back out. Now, are you bringing your skateboard to all these different places? I used to a lot, so uh, uh, not so much these days because I'm flying a lot. Like every day I'm flying, and I'm trying to, I'm, I got pretty good at it where I can leave for three weeks with a carrier. Wow. Yeah. Um, I don't want to have stuff with me because I want to be ready for anything kind of thing. Um, but uh, I tour so you're just buying clothes and washing clothes? Or? No, 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 no. I, 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 it's down to a science where I can do laundry once a week and it all fits in there and off you go. You know, yeah. uh, but uh, I did a I toured for a bit with AWOL Nation, a band from down here, I heard California. Yeah, Sail. You've heard this song. It's been in ads and blah blah. Surfer guy, Beach Boys from Malibu. Um, AWOL Nation. AWOL Nation. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, that was awesome because we would get off the bus, two buses, we'd pull up to a festival, and everybody, band and crew, would just have skateboards. So we would get on, off the bus and you'd just see 12 guys on skateboards just ripping through the festival grounds. Here we go. The whole nation's here, you know? That's it. Radios, boom, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, we would travel. I would travel everywhere on a skateboard. Yeah. Now, You'd have to, you know, like just for transportation, but to go sites, you know, just to have let oh, some I, outlet out, get some exercise. Yeah, like. I mean, <coughs> I remember being in El Paso. Was it El Paso? I think so. And me and the sound guy, 
there was this road with nobody on it and it it was this amazing hill and it went out for like three miles I want to say and in the desert sun's going down and we're just ripping it up like oh, on our skateboards on a day off yeah. there was nothing there was nothing really to do in Alpine. Yeah. and uh yeah, so that's cool. Every now and then you go for. So when did you finally get to surf or start surfing? So I had a girlfriend who took me to Sayulita, Mexico. When nice. I was there. I've never even been there. Really? So I love Sayulita. I went there for the first time. Man, I can't remember what year. Uh, what year is it now? Twenty-three. <laughs> so it would have been. Uh, 2006 maybe and I got there and it was starting to get busy in Sayulita but it was still pretty quiet and this was the off season it was August and I fell in love with this place just a tiny little yeah surf town right it used to be a a fishing town and I guess some California kids would go down there in the 60s as a secret spot and just drive and surf all the spots on the coast and uh and it was relatively it was relatively slow down there, but the waves were great. And I remember daydreaming about surfing my whole life. And I grabbed the surfboard, just rented one out, and paddled out for the first time in my life. First time in your life. First time in my life, a longboard, paddled out, and first wave. Whoop! This is it. It's like snowboarding, skateboarding. You jump your like, feet. Whoa! And- this is amazing. That was the only wave I caught that day. <laughs> but but your first wave was in Sayulita. Sayulita, yeah. but you caught a wave, the first wave you paddled for. Yeah, and you stood up on it. I stood up on it. Wow! But that was the only one, that, and then then I wiped out every other wave I tried to get. Yeah. For the rest of that session, you know. Yeah. But, but you didn't I, get lessons. That was the very first. No, no. I. I and your girlfriend surf, or you just no. she just went down there like, hey, this is a cool little yeah, spot. She didn't surf. Okay. Um, but it was great because there was no one on the beach. Now you go to Sayulita, it is packed. Yeah. Everywhere. And I remember, I fell in love with that place so much. And the waves, they're, they're easy waves, you know? Like, they're, they're, it's, you know, they're three, four, five foot, you know, kind of thing? Yeah. Um, and for me, it was easy and fun. And uh, I remember I got back home. The first thing I did is started looking at real estate. Or can I rent a house down there? You know, like, this is amazing. So I would go there kind of regularly on and off. That's why it's so crowded. Everybody's like doing the same thing. Exactly. Everybody's thinking like, how do I, how do I live here? How do I get down here every day? <laughs> Real estate blew up pretty quick. Oh yeah, like and 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 busier than ever. And uh, but then I would go there kind of regularly, and I was still for a work or for no, just for to escape, to escape, to, and down, to go surf. Yeah. So I would go down there, and then. Uh, come like around 2010 2011 I would go there I was hubbing out of LA and I would go down there for a week before the tour finish up my work go surf fly out to tour after the tour fly back to Sayulita stay there for a week close up all the books you know make friends with all the local guys over there and uh, a good friend of mine Cali Carranza who used to I think he used to Right for Patagonia or something like that. But you know, I've, I've heard of him. Cali Garanza? Yeah. Yeah, he's rap. Stay yeah. at his house. Epic. Oh, yeah. And uh, then I was going to Sayadito five times a year. 
Wow. It was like home away from. I think my my sombrero is still up in his thing there. You know, like I have a little note that says, "Dad's coming back in January. Don't touch this." You know, <laughs> Um, Did you eventually buy a board, your own board? No, never. No, because I was, I was never in the same spot. Yeah. Right. It was always LA, Montreal, Sayulita, and the rest of the world. Really, you know, like just traveling all the time. Did Did you try surfing in other parts of the countries or other countries? Surf Waikiki, uh, with a Wall Nation with that band. Uh, Hey, can we go to Hawaii again and tour there? That's pretty cool. Yeah, right? not a lot of bands end up going there. I mean, Dad, Dad's like, hey, Routed. I got a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> let's go to Hawaii again. Again? Yes. And, and okay, it, let's go to Salulita then. Yeah, so you, you know, some bands, I'm sure they're surfers, like you said, oh, they all course, like yeah. you know, like they're probably pumped too. You know? Oh yeah, 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 for sure. That's. Uh, I mean, Hawaii is amazing. Yeah. You know. And Waikiki, you know, just surfing that is, is like, again, it's easy. And I'm not good at all. Yeah. But it's just fun, you know, like it's, it's, uh, when you get those kinds of waves and the, the right board and it takes off and you're good. I, I love it. So I, I hope I'm not prying, but you're making good money? Like, I make a living. Yeah. Yeah. Being a tour manager, you mean? Yeah. I mean, it's turning into a career. It's probably the same thing as you guys, you know? Like, I'm making more money than when I was a kid, but I'm not a millionaire. Yeah. Know? Yeah, because We would all like to be. Just, you know, putting it all into perspective, you know, it's cool to hear when somebody who follows their passion, right? Um, and not necessarily... And it's not a bad thing to be college-educated, of course. No. But it's neat to hear that... You know what I mean? Like a lot of entrepreneurs, they, they're not college educated. Some of them drop out of high school. A lot of them drop out a of lot, high school. A lot, I think a lot of them do, yeah. 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 And that's, you know, essentially what, what you did. Is, I mean, I think at the end of the day, no matter what level of success you're looking at, if you're, <clears throat> you want to run this multi-national corporation and make a whack ton of money and, you know, not even have to work anymore or it's all about the love and the passion that you're going to do because it's, if it's a career it's something you're going to do every day you better love it yeah you know because or else why then it's just a hustle to 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 coast like uh, you know yeah I'm I'm a drive guy I need and I get obsessive my girlfriend will tell you that like I go into designing a skateboard and it's like research research, research. I love it though you know what I mean like mm -hmm. And it was the same thing with, with touring, you know, like, <clears throat> I love what I do, I'm trying to be the best that I can, and, uh, and there's a day that I'm going to not like it as much, maybe it's time to move on to something else. Yeah. yeah. So, it's not about the money. Yeah. Tell us, like, who, who you worked with, who, who was, uh, who you were tour, tour manager for. Currently? Yeah, like. In the last six years, I was doing... Eagles of Death Metal. Wow. Um, the Distillers, Flogging Molly, I did a bit. Uh, this band called Five Finger Death Punch. Uh, Five Finger Death Punch. Yeah. And, uh, what kind of music do they play? Just metal. They're huge. I didn't, I didn't know anything about those guys. But I couldn't believe it. Everywhere in the world, they, they sell out. Um, and uh, an AWOL Nation. 
uh, and Cypress Hill. Been with Cypress Hill for since 2018 and 19. How does, how did AWOL Nation come about and then how did Cypress Hill come about? So those are kind of interconnected because AWOL Nation opened for a band that I was touring with called Billy Talent, a band from Canada. They're huge everywhere but the States. Nobody knows them except for the bands in the States. So weird. Wow. What do they call? Billy Talent. Punk rock band. Arena level, you know, across Canada and Europe, Australia. Um, Why does that happen? Like, what's... It's weird. It's a weird thing. I don't know. I don't know why. That's crazy. It's like there's a struggle that happens for Canadian bands to make it down here, even though they're going to be huge everywhere else. Yeah. Uh, like I said, all the bands know them. We're homies with all the bands. You know? yeah. yeah. But. Um, to like book a venue, they're like, yeah, like. like what they'll, do they'll, play, they'll play down here. Uh, it's just a different level than what they play up there. They're a great band. Awesome dudes. Such nice guys. Do, do, do bands make it and get well known through radio still? It used to be like that. I think so. Because when, when we were younger, it was K Rock. Yeah. K Rock was KNC, K Rock, and. But K Rock was like the, the punk rock, new wave yeah. radio station, and KNAC was the. K Rock is still, still that, though. It's still the rock yeah. uh, channel. I guess in the States, radio was always super important. Um, it's starting to, to fade out a bit, yeah. but it's still there. Because we've done like, you know, I remember 15 years ago, we would go play radio stations all the time just to suck up to the radio programs. Yeah. And, and I hated those so much. And the radio festivals, you know, the... the What's that? Like go play in their studio, a couple songs yeah, for their like, exactly. employees and the, the yeah. DJs and all that. Exactly. Meet and greet, take a picture yeah. with them kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Marketing. Um, you're on tour. To I think like, the pop scene kind of still does mm. that. But I don't know that radio is as important. I don't see it as much. I've been mostly doing Cypress Hill for the past three years and um, on the touring side of things we don't really do a lot of radio stuff so yeah I mean they're so well established and they could yeah. probably just put yeah. out put out a show day and it's going to be freaking sold out in minutes but sometimes these big guys still you know milk the, the radios and, yeah you know, like, well they get residuals probably in so yeah. many different areas so exactly. it makes sense yeah. well it's such a trip because of you know the digital age and, and all the like Spotify and and I don't even know what the other ones are. Yeah. SoundCloud or yeah, it's something else in Europe. Yeah. 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 But it's it's a trip because you know we had uh, Jared Watson, the singer of Dirty Heads, yeah. and you know when I started YouTubing a bunch of, of Dirty Head stuff and saw that they played at you know like you said the radio stations or like weird stuff. You're like, yeah. wait, they have to do that? Like, yeah. But it's huge for them. You know yeah, I mean? it is huge. And uh, what's the K Rock festival that we used to do there? Weenie Roast and yeah, the Weenie yeah. Roast. and uh, Not So Acoustic Christmas and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, those things are huge. They're arena right. shows, you know. Like, uh, it's I guess it's still a thing. I yeah, I'm, I'm stoked that you know bands, not all, but like you're starting to see them invest in like videos because of how powerful YouTube is and it it's used like, to you know, be, yeah. And you know because and MTV was all about getting it on MTV. It's like now you can kind of you know get get a the viewership and stuff and make some extra mo- money but also you know kind of you know do some creative and cool yeah yeah know? no doubt yeah for sure 
there's the pandemic had to pushed everybody to be creative even like live feeds stuff like that when the lockdown was happening we couldn't have shows yeah so <clears throat> some of these bands were like the late night and chalky podcast was still rolling yeah <laughs> yeah, good. We did some remotes. <laughs> yeah, mostly no, in person. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it was hard. Yeah, for sure. Like people, I mean, like their livelihoods, just you know, completely turned off. Like so, they had do? they had to revert to all the YouTube stuff. You know, and yeah. anything we can do to get creative. You know, so, a Wall Nation punk rock surf band, right? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, and then Cypress Hill. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the other side of the spectrum. So check this out. So, um, Rage, Rage Against the Machine. Bro, one of my all-time favorites. They're amazing. I, it's funny. I haven't listened to Rage in a long time. I always listen to podcasts when I get in my car. But you know how it, like, when you get in your car, your Bluetooth picks it up and it'll play whatever? Yeah. And, and I usually change it to a podcast as soon as it picks up on my iTunes. Rage started playing this morning, and dude. Oh, nice. I fucking turned it up. Road Rage! super loud, and I'm fucking flying down the PCH. Just going. Yeah. After bow, you drop out the kids at school. Bow, bow. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. After, yeah, you got to have the kids kids music. and then After I drop the kids off, yeah. Oh, I just saw, like, sorry to sideboard, but I saw the funniest little feed where it was a dad with the kids in the car no mom and he was like it was like rapping it was like tupac or something like 90s hardcore yeah boom 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 and then the next clip with mom in the car and singing a christian song like like a pop christian song and it was just side by side it was so funny i'm like that's so true right that's amazing (laughs) so 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 rage Rage was doing something right before the elections of 2016, and they got together. But Zach wasn't singing; he wasn't part of the group. So they had uh, Be Real from Cypress Hill and Chuck D from Public oh, Enemy, shit. and they made Prophets of Rage. And then they went on to tour for a year and a half. And AWOL Nation uh, got booked on the tour, and that's how I met uh, most of those guys from Be Real and stuff like that from Cypress Hill. And uh, so AWOL kind of went away, or they were done touring, and I started touring with you know, other bands, Eagles of Death Metal for a while. And then, yeah, I got called to do Cypress Hill and did that for a bit. Was doing that and, and the other bands as well, kind of at the same time. And then last year, I just went like, you know what, let's just do Cypress Hill. I got the, I got the skateboard things going on right now, and uh, those guys are the best. The schedule is good. They don't want to overwork. They're probably in a comfortable spot, but yet they're hustlers. But yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was just it was just good for me, and and I just focused on on those guys. And are they creating new music still, or are they? Yeah, just... they put out a record this year. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the new record? Uh, Back in Black, it's called. But this year also is the 30th anniversary of Black Sunday. That record. Uh, Huge. 30th. Yeah. yeah, 30th. We're fucking old, dudes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, there's a lot going on for these guys this year. It's, it's yeah. great. Where are they originally from, Cypress Hill? Southgate. So they're California. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought that, you know, I knew they were local, but I, you know, don't really follow, like, where people grow up. But, yeah. you know, unless, unless you know they're in the True L.A. I mean, I guess they have that 
a bit of that New York kind of style. Yeah. But I always thought they were like it seemed like they had East Coast influence. Yeah, no. Yeah. No, LA. True and true Latino hip hop. Latino hip hop. Yeah. Yeah. They're the first Latino hip hop to ever get their star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Fun fact right there. Oh, we're gonna I get can. one right one day. You got it for sure. Put a call in. <laughs> Could you? Yeah. Um, so what's their, like, so Cypress Hill, like if they would tour, like, you know, a few months out of the year or, like, do a different, It's like, different with those guys. I mean, we just, we usually, it's like weekend stuff. Yeah. So we'll fly out to Boston or we'll fly out to, to Latin America and do two, two shows. We'll do Bogota, Lima, come back. We'll be gone for four days, come back. Yeah. You know, and pretty much have the week off. You know? Yeah. Uh, of shows. Uh, we do, you know, they've done, like, I've done a tour. We've done a few tours, of, you know, that will go on for five weeks at a time. We did we did a tour at Slipknot, and that was amazing. Wow. Uh, last May, a year ago. And, uh, but apart, yeah, apart from that, it's just like, Spice. Uh, we just we were just in Australia for three I'm weeks. Sure, they get like a lot of private like events and you know a like few here and there, yeah. yeah, a lot of festivals. Festivals. Yeah. yeah. Europe festivals this summer. Those are always amazing. Yeah. Europe is summer your biggest season? Yeah, yeah, festival season for sure. What's what's the uh, itinerary like for this year? Europe. Germany, Amsterdam, Italy, France, UK. Um, you need an assistant? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, we got some guys. They're awesome. Uh, but yeah, it's... Uh, but we're also doing Canada. We got um, Toronto, Quebec City, um, like Chicago area, a bunch of different yeah. stuff. Going on. Anything in Orange County? That we can get tickets for? Bake, <laughs> Bakersfield this, Bakersfield. is the closest? San Diego on, uh, on, uh, wait, when is it? John Yeah. I was going to say, okay, well, why don't, does, does anybody from uh, Cypress Hill surf? I don't think so. Well, tell them that you're going to take them to Lemoore, California and surf Kelly Slater's pool. Oh, right on. And do an event there. That would be awesome. <laughs> that That'd be How so sick cool. would that be? Yeah. They've had some uh, bands play there during oh, yeah. the contest. Yeah. Right on. They had a... Shit, who was it? A couple years ago, they did a, a contest, and then they had some bands Music. play. Yeah, they right got on. a killer venue. I'm sure they could pack, pack it in. July 25th, Sunday. Sweet. Nice. So pandemic happens, your livelihood, just like the bands, everything comes to a halt. You start. Yeah. So skate, you know, making skateboards. So uh, back in Montreal. So I was on tour with AWOL Nation and um, I was in Santa Cruz and my son in Montreal wanted a cruiser from Santa Cruz. So I got, I get in the cruiser, finish the tour, head back home a month later. Pick him up from school, making dinner. My son wants to go, you know, can I go for a skate? I'm like, yeah, yeah. He goes around, in Montreal, like city, you know, like less cars and stuff like that. He's just skating on the sidewalk, and a skate goes under a car and gets crushed. 
and he comes back and he's holding the skateboard and it's broken in half. And he's like teary eyed, I'm like, Are you okay? He's like, Yeah, but the skateboard I'm like, Who cares about the skateboard? You're okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. He goes, Yeah, but you got it in Santa Cruz. I'm like, ah, I'll I'll go back there, don't worry about it. So I, I'm trying to I'm trying to source this same board. You know, the trucks are fine, everything's good. Yeah. But I'm trying to buy the deck and uh, and I can't get it. I can't get it, and coincidentally, I follow up on this YouTube of this kid who's pressing his own board in his backyard with two by fours and wood clamps. I'm like, wait a second, we can do this, but way better. <laughs> so I tell my son, I'm like, let's let's make you the skateboard. So we're in the backyard, you know, in board shorts and flip flops, power tools, and Fu Manchu playing in the background, and I made his board. So we. Made him a cruiser, and then obviously uh, had to make one for my daughter. And the next thing you know, we're making them for right. kids That's at cool. school. Let's do a different one, like different yeah. patterns. So you watch exactly. YouTube. Uh, I just watched. Yeah, I don't know how this came up. I wasn't looking for it, but yeah, this this kid was just using two by fours and and, and pressing pressing like again. giving it a shape and stuff. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. we can do this. And uh, so I started just kind of playing with it. You know, we would, we would make lines like the old surfboards, you know, the 50s surfboards, stain the boards so they look like, you know, a longboard or something like that. And then we would take those to California because I had a place in L.A. and the kids would fly down every now and then and we'd go s cruise up and down Dogtown, Santa Monica on the boardwalk with our handmade cruisers, cruisers with our pretend little family company called Finless. Finless because of the old, you know, the inspiration of the old surfboards. Yeah. Um, so that was like 2015 or something like that. And oh, uh, way, way back. Yeah, 2016s maybe. So uh, then the pandemic hit, and then you know, uh, I was actually with my daughter in LA, and we kind of flew in as the lockdown was happening back to Montreal, and then everything stopped, and everybody was out of a job, and there was no touring inside. There's no way we're putting anyone in a venue anytime soon so you know um, just trying to figure how out what to do how fucking you know? gnarly was that it's kind of unreal our generation and even our parents generation never really knew yeah that, right no nobody's done it's that. like our second it's like our world war you yeah know? it's like a it's, yeah it's surreal when you think about it yeah it's so crazy it's it's mind blowing because you know when you think back of the the days leading up to it, right? And then when you think of the week that it happened, and then you start thinking, what am I? What are we gonna do? Like, yeah. what are we gonna do for work? What are we gonna do for money? Yeah, you know, all those uncertainties that you start like realizing, like, fuck, like, what are we gonna do? It's kind of yeah. <laughs> and, and you, who, you know, you're you're the in you're the entertainment industry that. The venues, the big fucking thousand people, you know, capacity venues. Yeah, that's like one of the biggest, you know. That's the first thing that's going to go. Yeah. So you're like, whoa, like, what the fuck am I going to do? Well. Fill the skateboards. Well, see, the, there was there was a transitional. It, it, it was an instant, obviously, because at one point it's like, we're trying to figure this out. Wait, 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 we're going to figure this out. Right? Yeah. We're gonna, yeah. Like, it, it can't be like yeah. a year, no way. Like we're gonna two weeks. Bend, bend the curve. Uh, bend the curve. Two at weeks. At one point, it's like, oh man, like this is for real. Like, 
And a lot of us touring people, a lot of people went into real estate. A lot of people started driving for Amazon, like anything we could do to just to wait it out, you yeah. know, kind of thing. Grubhub, whatever, like yeah, yeah just exactly. And uh, brothels. I. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah. Whoa, Lark! Yeah, that was J- that was Jay Lark. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I I I, I, I was fig- trying to figure out what I was gonna do, and none of the, none of what I was coming up with was exciting or fun. And uh, and I was like, maybe, maybe I do this. Maybe I, I take this idea, this little family company thing, pretend thing, and just make it a real thing. So up to that point, you were just making it for your friends and family. Yeah. Just for fun when I was home from tour. Spending time with the kids and, and, and yeah, just like a hobby, really. Yeah. But I always... It was always in the back of my head on how to make them like, because we were just staining the boards, pressing them with two by fours, you know, thinking of how to better the thing. And if I was going to do something, I wanted to make it like a top tier, top shelf product, if you will. Something yeah. handmade from craftsmanship. Yeah. Something different that, you know, something different than that, that's already out there. Something a little bit more. Man, there's elevated. like 30, 30 skateboard companies start every year and they're all yeah. like street decks and it's you know definitely something different yeah and something that was genuine something that was yeah handcrafted handmade like the like the surfboards back in the 50s that inspired us with all these designs so i kind of rented a workshop and uh it was great because it was a workshop that had other benches and other professionals you know woodworkers and just starting researching, started researching on how to do this, and uh, but doing it with like the way the boards are, they're made with different types of veneer. That's what the look is on the board. The different colors are veneer. Nothing's printed or anything, except for the logo. It's all wood. <coughs> so yeah, we that's we just just jump, took the leap. Yeah, I mean I love I love it. You know, Nose Rider and Uma Zuma and. What does CCMD stand for? I can't tell you that. It's a secret. family secret. And then the, the Duke Longboard. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's right up, it's good, you know, right, right up the old school, like, so surf novelty. Tell like, us tell us again why, why you named it finless. Because it got no fin. <laughs> it's, it's a surfboard on sidewalk surfer. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We were playing around. We, we, we were going to call it, Montreal's an island in the St. Lawrence River. So we were trying, how do we call it island skateboards? And then I was like, oh, I think I found it. I thought that there was Somebody a- Somebody else had it. Yeah. Point, yeah. Like I mean, and I was like, who's, no one's gonna have finless, and finless surfboards are like the precursors, you know? Yeah. The old ancient Elias and stuff like that. I was like, maybe, maybe it's finless. And I was toying with the logo and talking to the kids and getting them involved. And my daughter said, it's finless. And Okay, it's finless. Here we go. That's, that's cool. That's how it turned. Yeah, I mean, I, I recommend everybody checking it out on, online because, you know, the boards look like, yeah, you're kind of like 1950s, like, you know, balsa, like, boards. Yeah, that's the inspiration. And yeah. We put a lot of thought in the way we make them. They're not, you know, they're beach boards. They're made to commute, but you can still rip, th- you know, rip on them. Whereas... We want to make them nice, but we have Paris trucks on them. We have real wheels, real bearings, no no-name nothing, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. We wanted to make it a quality product. 
environmentally friendly as much as possible. Um, that's a big challenge in anything. You can't be 100% environmentally friendly. But yeah. we used uh, we use uh, environmentally friendly clear coat. Uh, the grip is recycled crushed glass that we that we embed in the clear coat. You can still ride it barefoot. Uh, you know, all sorts of stuff like that that we try and do as much packaging. So, so. Like, how many refinements have you made, like, you know, since 2015, like, constant, huh? Refinements? Like, you know, just a lot. board materials, like, the right truck, the right, you know, urethane density, the, you know, like, there's, it's just, yeah, like, I'm looking at it now, and I'm like, wow, this is, like, legit. Like, yeah. it looks insane. It's, so, it's a, lot of, it's a lot of trial and error, obviously, and you don't know, and sometimes time is your worst enemy because... You don't know what, how it's going to perform in six months, you know. Yeah. But at one point we got a system going, and now it's easier for me to come up with a new model, you know, and and design it, and you know, obviously. Yeah. So, you you started it in Montreal, mm -hmm. and then you moved it to here. No, it's still the boards are still made in Montreal. Okay. I still make the boards in Montreal. I live down here, go back and forth. Uh, I do a lot of fulfillment down from here and the designing and all that stuff from yeah here. now you said you rented a like a workshop yeah um, did you move into your own facilities or you're still using the workshop we're still using the workshop we just it's just the best place it's yeah. hard it's gonna be hard to leave we're using two spots there, but it's in this old building that when I was 17, I remember skating by. And I don't know why, but I would see this old brick building and say, I, oh, I'm going to have something in here. I'm going to do something in here one day. Wow. I didn't think it was yeah. skateboards. I didn't think it was anything. But it's... Uh, you just like what was going on there. You didn't know why. It's just a weird thing where there's a guitar maker and then there's this weird sculpture guy who makes like... 16 foot rusty metal sculptures and then there's the wood shark the the, the the wood shop and then upstairs there's like silk screeners and artists and yeah. it's just a trip a little there. industrial like creativity hub it's yeah. so yeah. rad it's so rad and the people there are amazing and and especially like going in there trying to figure a lot of the machinery that's used for skateboarding nowadays it's all robots you know cnc machines and stuff but a lot of these uh, skateboard manufacturers, the tools had to be custom made, you know, like to, to control the, stuff. yeah. Um, and all these people at that wood shop that had way more experience, they still have way more experience than I have, helping out, um, figuring out how to do this. How do we do this so we can make a hundred of these in a row, you know, yeah. or 200 or whatever, you know. Uh, it's a rad place. Yeah. But it's, it's hard because we're, there's not a lot of space now, you know. Yeah. The, the guys up there. Are it's a good problem, but yeah, it's, it's uh, a good problem. But yeah. So, you know, Finless, your your uh, kind of look and your design inspiration is from retro yeah. surfboards, right? Yeah. The, yeah. It's the surfboard. It's also the culture, the the 50s, the 60s, the shapers, huge on like that's one of the biggest inspiration is you know looking at documentaries on Rich Harbor and, and Velzi and Hobie Alter and yeah, those guys years. and that ties into the punk rock so much where these guys were just the punk rocks of the age they were yeah. DIYing it yeah. you know like yeah. uh, Rich Harbor's story of why he made his first surfboard is because 
he left his board in the alley and it got stolen and he was like well I guess I'm gonna make one yeah and that's kind of what happened with me and my son where he broke a skateboard I was like let's just make one you know yeah. kind of thing and the first guys to figure out foam and and routing and, and stuff like it's pretty amazing like, yeah they were just trying to figure it out because they wanted to go have fun out in the water that and not pay a, a premium you know figure yeah. out how to you know make it themselves and then you know like you you're like all of a sudden like somebody sees it and then now you're selling a few you yeah. know just yeah not intentionally like i'm just building them and obviously people were drawn to them because they look cool and they're unique yeah and yeah there's exactly. a story behind it and you know totally. one thing so, leads to another um, there's a there's a genuinity in the, the the passion of you want to make it good if it's going to be out in the open yeah right you want to make it good for yourself but you, you want to be happy with what you made so there's so much love and focus and almost obsessive that goes into something same thing with the bands when you're kids and just trying to figure out how to play that riff yeah or coming up with surfboards in the 50s you know it's pretty amazing so um Shout out to Mike Vavak, Building the Revolution. Yeah. Cool. Um, he actually, he's the guy that introduced me to Dan, to Finless Skateboards Co. Uh, it's funny, and I told you the story we were talking about earlier. The, the, he texted me uh, about you, and then I think maybe a week later, you and I talked right. on the phone. And, and the next day, Jay and I was cruising around together, and we went to Hobie to say hello. Just pop in, say hi, and then he had... To, to Jake, you know, Schwainer, the, yeah. one of the owners of Hobie. And out of the blue, the, he goes, yeah. He goes, uh, do you know who Dan McKay is? Yeah, we were in his office. That's so crazy. We were in his office, and he had probably, like, what, 10 of them, like, yeah. lined up on the wall. He had the original check out skate, and then yeah. he had, like, your interpretation, yeah. replicas yeah. of it. And we're like, whoa, those are sick. And then your name got, oh, yeah, you know Dan. And no, he said Dan McKay before you, he even showed me the skateboards. Really? Yeah. How? I don't fucking know. That's so but weird. it was so weird yeah. because <laughs> we're, we're sitting there just, you know, chit-chatting, and he's like, he goes, you know who Dan McKay is? I go, I just talked to him last night. He goes, you did? For the first time. Yeah. yeah. I, and he goes, so yeah. Weird. He goes, he makes skateboards. I go, yeah, Finless skateboards. He goes, you've heard about it? I go, last night. That's amazing. <laughs> For the first fucking time. That's he goes, so oh, weird. check these out. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and then we walked in. So we walked in his room, and he had them lined up against the wall. He goes, look at these things. These are works of All art. All numbered, and dude, they look sick. Awesome. I go, what are you yeah, going to do with these? And that's he's like... The, the, we're gonna sell me blue like wheel, right? Wasn't there the, the clay wheels like they're they're urethane wheels, they, but they're like a remake of what they used to look like. Right? Are the they? Yeah. yeah. But he he, he was all psyched, you know. He's all stoked, and he was like, "Man, we're stoked!" And they're, they're me those yeah, and they're they're, they're not cheap, right? No, but they're they're like they're, they're wall hangers. They're wall hangers, but what we did is cool with Hobie because, I mean, that board has so much history. It's debatably one of the first mass-produced skateboards ever to be, you know? Yeah. Or in the ones that were first mass-produced. And um, talking, you know, I just made one and sent it to him. I'm like, hey. Check it out. You guys are not selling these. You guys should sell these because this is history and this is yeah. ass. And, uh, and he, we were talking and he wanted to 
figure out a way to make it more. The original board was just screwed. The trucks were just screwed in. Yeah. So you know, I'd, I'd assume if you weigh 140 pounds, you take a turn and those trucks are ripped off. Yeah. You know, yeah. Lara would definitely so we want, yeah, for sure. Like one turn. <laughs> new and improved version, but still throwing back to that classic yeah. look—the flat yeah. mahogany maple board. So we made him one, and we made him a few, and and uh, yeah, and like it was crazy. You know, it was crazy. I was, as in Pasadena, the guys shaping the boards are in Montreal. He sends me a picture of the board. I go to Google and try and find the exact, like... Original photo of the... The original photo of the 30-inch Hobie Super Surfer. Get on Illustrator, start tracing stuff, start measuring, measuring, trying different angles and stuff, and sending send the template to Montreal. I already, had already made one, but it was a 25-inch. It wasn't a 30-inch. Send the template to the guys. I'm like, try this out, shape it. Here are the specs. Here's the width of everything that needs to happen. They do it. They take a picture of it. I'm like, okay, that looks good. Send it to me. They send it to me. I'm like, okay. I bring them to Hope to Jake, and he pulls out the 1965 Hobie, and I take it. I put it face to face on mine, and we both started giggling. Like it's maybe it's the exact same thing. I couldn't wow. believe it. I was like, wow. Like I, I, this like is the first time I touched one of these things, and we made it. And it was pretty dead on, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. Maybe a bit of deviation, but uh, I think that's that's the kind of stuff that's important. Like those boards were made by hand back in the day. Yeah. Let's make those boards by hand again today, even if it's a little bit different, even if it's modernized. Yeah, you know, like I mean, they were meant to ride back in the day. They should be meant to ride now, even though most. People like Lennon said are probably going to use them as wall art, but yeah, still, but you made them to where they like they're they're writable. They're writable. They're writable. Yeah. So is your uh, one of your goals is to replicate other boards, other um, shapers, and I mean, yeah, we. I mean, I have you already been doing it? Or yeah, we know? have. We have. We have not necessarily replicating replicating surfboards into skateboards is what we've been doing. Yeah. So the story goes that the first account where the first shop that ever bought uh, or sold Finland skateboards is Harbor in Seal Beach and Robert there is awesome yep. he bought a couple boards to sell them and then he showed me the Banana 66 surf model you guys know that yeah it's such an iconic board it's like and it kind of like that look obviously you were inspired by that look so he's like can you make me this in a longboard I'm like Okay, here we go, and that kind of sparked something. And and since then we've done the Banana Sixty Six for Harbor in a forty-six inch longboard. Uh, Dewey Weber's Performer, uh, Bunger boards on the East Coast. They're going out this week. Matador, uh, Yater in Santa Barbara. So this is kind of a thing. And and although we still have our boards, obviously our brand, the 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 the, the Phyllis brand. The bifinless stuff is so much fun because, yeah, you know, we get to we get to do something and highlight that history and those classic looking boards. You know? Yeah, and it's fun because and we're throwing back to the shapers of those days yeah. and, and and doing it uh, by hand. It's cool to, like, we're in this room with these crazy works of art. You know. Yeah. Like Every, you could make a a small faces. This OP, this Russell, this frickin' Stussy, 
Yeah. You know, there's so much. I mean, yeah, these two, you know, I mean, there's so much history in the surf and all the shapers, you know, Rob Doggess, and you could do a freaking... It's Takayama. I mean, there's there's a lot of shapers all over the world that that would look cool in a finless, by finless. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and we're definitely, that's definitely a big part of our business. It is. Um, We're always looking to collab with heritage or we also do private label stuff so we'll do boards for a surf shop that doesn't have that classic surfboard but they've still been around for 25 30 years and we slap their you know their surf shop logo on it and they have their their shop board you know yeah private label style you know yeah it's 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 great it's a lot of fun and it's good because that relationship i've always wanted finless no matter where it goes, I've always wanted to highlight the mom and pop, the indie shops, what made surfing today what it is, you know, like yeah. the shapers, but the, the shops as well. Yeah. And uh, never really, don't aspire to go to the big selling skateboard at Costco or whatever. Can you buy skateboards at Costco? Probably. Yeah. Walmart yeah. or whatever. Yeah. No, no yeah. way. You yeah. know, like it's all about this. It's all about that community. It's all about yeah. the little towns along the coast and everywhere throughout the country and the world really you know yeah so that relationship of talking to the shops highlighting their their classic boards or making a board yeah, for their them, heritage their iconic like yeah like it, it goes a long way and it means a lot and, and, and that's what we're all about so finless you you made it into a company right before COVID or during COVID or right into COVID I mean yeah and 2020 like Many our industry blew up because of COVID. Yeah, did, was it good for your business too, or it was good for it was eye opening for me. I was just starting, so unfortunately, I like it was going, and I was just on the tail end of every mm. opportunity when it came to that stuff. Yeah, timing. I mean, I remember when Val Surf went like, "How many do you have?" I'm like, "I got a pallet," and like, "Send me the pallet," and, but it never, you never. Did it in time, and then it's like, oh no, now too, everybody's got too many skateboards. Yeah. But it opened a lot of conversations, though. Like you know, and Mike Vavak is a huge part of that. Like he's the one that I spoke to so early in the game because I wanted to put his trucks on our skateboards. I wanted real good trucks and. He's the guy for Paris, and, and then he started introducing me to people, and that's yeah. I started talking to all these shops and stuff. Like well, these shops too, it's a, it's like filling a void, but it's also like, like you said, bringing up that that history and that nostalgia that's like so tied into yeah. those rootsy stores, you yeah. know. So it's like it makes, I mean, perfect sense to, you know, work with all these cool shops and it kind of keeps it interesting and yeah. you're not stepping on anybody's toes like I'm building stuff specifically for you and it's not going to affect the guy down the street because I'm building them specific yeah. stuff that works for them and yeah. and everybody can still succeed and, exactly. and have good sales. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, Lar had your website on his computer a little yeah. bit ago and I saw it. Are you sponsoring people too? Uh, not really. We have, we have a guy, Sandy, he lives in San Diego. He kind of Sandy from him. San Diego. Sandy from San Diego. Ron <laughs> Burgundy. Uh, he's cool. He's got that like, you know, Z Boys, Dogtown kind of feel to him. 
And uh, that's about it. We're going to start maybe looking at skaters on yeah. our team. But. And I don't know if... There's like this new... I don't know how new it is, but you know... I've seen it on Instagram. I've seen it on YouTube. The girls that are longboard skateboarding and doing the fucking tricks. Oh, the it's dancing. been around for a while, the but dancing. yeah, the, like the dancing stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's really big in Europe, or you know, I think Spain, Spain and stuff, and, and Asia, and Asia now. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, I haven't seen it personally. No. In in my I mean, in front of me. Right. But I've seen it, you know, on video, and I'm like, wow. Yeah, it's like the it's the they're, next level of tricks, but with a four they're foot big, four. Yeah, they're big and they're doing the cross step. They're doing a lot of surf moves that you yeah. know, kind of the inspiration. I feel like of, yeah, that's something that well goes along the lines of what you, you know, you're yeah. Well, the, the the board that we made for Rit for for Harbor, um, I brought to a group uh, this this skate gang. They're called Longboard Cruiser or Longboard Skateboard Montreal when we were prototyping it. And this board had holes the whole way down almost because I was playing with uh, wheel, yeah, wheel, wheel base and stuff like that. And we brought it to them and we just messed around all day trying to fine tune the perfect spot, perfect shape. And at the end of the day, they were just flipping that thing all over the place. And I was like, oh, we love this, it's great. So it's definitely a board that, you know, that can yeah. We got the Ventana out there. Um, the tree fish. That was a tree fish. So that was a collab that we did with an amazing company called Ventana Surfboards up in Santa Cruz. Mm, I've heard of them. Yeah. Uh, they those, do a lot of wood. It's all reclaimed wood that they do. It's pretty amazing. So that was a copy or, or our rendition of their surfboard, and they also have a snowboard. Just a rad collab. Those guys are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. It's fun. It's yeah. it's fun for the community and it's fun to get with people in collab like this. You know, like yeah. it's it's not just about like sell as many skateboards as you can. It's also about the relationships. You yeah. Know? Like and that's healthy, healthy. You know, realistic. You know, growth and and not you know. Yeah. Not just in it for the, the quick buck, but yeah, you're here to make money too, but let's make it in a healthy way and not exactly. saturate the yeah, market. We're all in it together yeah. at the end of the day. You know? I think collaborations are a good way of bringing tribes together. Absolutely. You know? Oh, yeah. Because, you know, you, when you have your group and then let's say it's Hobie's group and, you know, like yeah, you, no doubt. You're, introduced, you're introduced to that whole, you know, demographic yeah and you're helping them introduce to different demographics but all those shops you're talking about like Hobie you know it's like dude like inventor of the catamaran and you know like it, yeah. like that there it crosses bridges and then outside of just surf you know like it's a it's, it's a true. heritage name and you know Val Surf Val Surf was the first like skateboard shop like yeah, ever I've right you know and so there, there's a lot first mail order too first mail you know so there's a lot of like cool history that's just like outside of just surf, you totally. know. Oh yeah, it's a. Uh, like you could go do like not not being cheesy, but like, you know, they're not surfer, but the, the Beach Boys. Your music just made me think about the Beach Boys. Yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah. you put a board for, together. Like how many fans have they got? You of know, course, like, yeah, yeah. We have been doing some huge. We've done some stuff with bands. Um, 
there's this merch company that licenses out for bands and and uh, we've done a few little things. We did a not fest board limited yeah. edition. Uh, they're talking about doing other boards like that, but yeah. even that's fun, you know. Like for sure, anything, anything that makes sense yeah. and no drama and keep it real, you know. Yeah. Right. So if, if people want to get your boards. Besides your website, thinlessskateboards.com. Yeah. What what it what retailers are we? Uh, retailers find? right now. Uh, there's Surf Diva in San Diego. Nice. La Jolla. Uh, Rincon and Carpinteria. Nice. Uh, who else down here right now? I think Harbor's out at the moment. They should restock. And that's about it for now here. Hobie. Hobie, well, they don't have the finless brand skateboards. Mm. They sold out of the Super Surfer we just made. So keep your eye out for uh, potentially more to come. Yeah, and, and give them, you know, some ideas of, you know, like email, sort you, you know, find you and give them some, you know, some ideas of where they want boards. You know? Yeah, hell yeah, anytime. Because there's all kinds of killer shops like up and down the coast that oh, we're not yeah. even thinking of that would just Infinity, yeah, yeah Infinity. Her, her, uh, Brian Heritage from Heritage Surf and Sport on yeah. East Coast. Yeah, yeah. the list goes, you know, endless, and that's it what's goes cool. On and on and on for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, cool. I'm uh, wrapping up my uh, my portion. I gotta go grab my kid. Daycare. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been two hours. Yeah. Oh damn. <laughs> I got after school. Time flies. Part, time flies yeah. when you have fun. Yeah, yeah, man. These damn kids always run their fun. No, this is awesome, though. Yeah. No. No, yeah, I mean. Thanks a lot. But, but uh, yeah, any time you're welcome back to the show and, Thank like, you. you know, help promote anything. And, you know, we're just another, you know, outlet because, I mean, this is our, our, you know, our ties to all the core shops is, you know, coming back and making sure that we're making those relationships and those connections. And awesome. Anytime oh, you, love you, that. you, so you, you need to bounce yeah. some ideas off us or... Any connections? Let us I know. I love that. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll definitely keep in touch for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And a um, little plug for our uh, sponsors. We got you uh, late night with Chalky Trucker and uh, a koozie, yep. a beer koozie. I love it. Some Thank shade you. sunscreen. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So when you go hit the surf for the beach. Right back in Salulita. Thank yeah. you very much. I got to go back there soon. Um, we got Villager. We got Park. Ashland. Yep. We got. Shoots beer, Earth Pack. Yeah, Earth Pack does all your, uh, you know, bags and, and stickers packaging. Yeah, nice. we're also sponsored by Neon Wave, which is a, a sick like skate, or snowboards, surf, skate. and they sell skateboards yeah. too. All right on. Cool. On the East Coast, Rochester, New York. Right on. It's a, a, I mean, if you ever make it out there, it's got he's got a beautiful What's it store, called? Neon Wave. Neon Wave, and that's yeah. in New York. Uh, Rochester, Rochester, New York. Oh, right yeah. On. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, we do shows there. Yeah, it's uh. You gotta check it out. You gotta check it out. Um, Caballero Pools and Spas, which yep. is like here in Southern California. So anybody right. that's like looking to get some landscape and a pool and oh, right on. hardscape, yeah. yeah, we got hookups. And if you ever need any packaging needs, Earth Pack. That's great. Yeah. I might hit you up about that. <laughs> Earthpack.com. Yeah. Love it. Well, well thank shoot. you. Damn, yeah, that was epic. Thank Cheers. you. Nice meeting hey, you, man. Thanks yeah. for having me, guys. This was great. Appreciate it. Sweet. Peace. Bonsai Bowls. Hands down the best bowls, period. Seven locations. Two in Hawaii, 
five in Southern California, bonsai bowls. Go get some. Caliente Southwest Grill. Clean, healthy Mexican food. Everything is made fresh daily using produce from local farms. Their salsa, their dressing, and even their marinades are made from fresh produce in-house, so almost all of the menu is naturally gluten-free and extremely clean. Family-owned, showing local love for 22 years. Check out their website, calientesouthwest.com, for all your party pack and catering needs. You could also call them at 949-515-0909, calientesouthwest.com. Ashland Hard Seltzer, made from all natural ingredients. No sugar, zero carbs, gluten-free. Great taste and guilt-free good times. Ashland Hard Seltzer. Shade Sunscreen, the best sunscreen for all surfers. Shade Sunscreen, it's been around since the sun. Shade, Shade. Sunscreen. Clearweather is a family-owned footwear brand started by our friends Josh and Brandon Brubaker. They are driven to create their own path in the corporate sneaker world. Less corporate, more independent. Clearweather. Clearweatherbrand.com. Fuwax is the best, ickiest, stickiest wax in the game. Fuwax. Late Night with Chalky is supported by Inherent Bummer. Surf entertainment, thoughtful writing, surf videos, music, and fresh hell for the core surf community. Remember, it's not the end of the world. Subscribe and check it all out at InherentBummer.com. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams for our awesome artwork and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music.